0: Our present focus has been what kind of dispositions in us attract grace. We've been focusing on one in particular, and that is humility. And we've processed humility quite extensively, and we started speaking of its opposite. Its opposite is pride. So the Bible says God repels or is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Now, we want to make sure that we're on the humble end, so that we can be the receiving end of grace. Yeah. If we are on the proud end, we recruit the opposition of God. Mm-hmm. And I think Mark explained in his teaching, the word um, opposed to, anti-ta- anti-tasso in the Greek, anti means against, tasso has got to do with arranging oneself deliberately. So when God says, I oppose you, he's saying, I will deliberately arrange myself against you. Mm-hmm. Now, it would like that. Would like God to deliberately arrange Himself against you. Right? The classic case we saw in the house church focus in the week and from last week's Sunday sermon was that how God deliberately arranged Himself against King Uzziah. And He posed a man who entertained pride. The sad thing for me, I don't want to go to the details of Second Chronicles 26 now because we've all uh, processed it in the house church. Uh, 80 priests. Including Azariah, the chief priest, would stood Uzziah. Now, and the Bible says of those priests, they were valiant men. These were not ordinary people, these were men of the greatest credibility in Israel. Azariah, the high priest, and 80 others. If 81, that's 80 plus, Ezra is 81, 81 credible people are telling you you are wrong, and you still don't listen. That's pride at the highest level. It shows the subtlety of pride. That's why never the moment you recognize it in your life, snuff it out, because it has the uncanny ability to gain strength, such that even a person of great credibility comes to you and shows you the error of your way. It is possible for you to walk away and dismiss their view, right? And so we spoke there of the inability to receive correction. It's a manifestation of pride. If God corrects you and you're, not, you're unteachable, you're unable to receive the correction, your pride is standing in insurrection against God, and you are repelling grace, pushing grace away, rather than attracting grace. Okay. So humility is a grace attractor, pride is a, a grace repeller. It pushes grace away. And we have to diagnose pride, uh, pride as we've been doing, and uh, I think we we isolated twelve or fifteen indicators of pride in the life of King Uzziah. Now I don't want to go through all of that because I want to do some more indicators this morning. Okay, we must uh, allow the Holy Spirit to shine His spotlight and show us, because the heart of a man thinks that he's right in his own eyes. Like Uzziah became Uzziah, rather became strong in his own eyes. And you think you're fine until the, the word is able to highlight your blind spot of pride. Okay. Um, before we did the teaching on Uzziah, I spoke about independence of God. Just to list them. We spoke about self-reliance, where you rely upon your own strength and you don't need God for anything. Uh, we, we spoke about thinking that you are strong within yourself, within your own human strength. Instead of being strong in the grace of God. Paul consistently said to Timothy, My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If any man thinks he's strong in himself, he's prone to fall. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore he who thinks he stands must beware lest he he falls. Okay? Don't lay too great a store by your own strength. Don't lay too great emphasis on the fact that you haven't fallen up to now. The moment you think, "Well, I've got quite a fairly good track record of not failing in a particular respect," and the moment you you start to put lapels on your shoulder and say, "Well done," that is the moment you've announced your propensity to fall in the very same area. Okay, so I I want to encourage you: never, always be humble. Uh, never f- let the focus be upon you, your own strength, what you're able to do. right? You rather earn the side of being overly God conscious and deferring glory, thanksgiving, help consistently to God. You rather go overboard, okay? Right? You never, ever extract God out of as the root cause for all blessing, for all productivity, for all fertility. Like Job said when his wife said, curse God and die. Remember? After everything was taken away from him, what did he say? The Lord has given the Lord as? Taken away. But barak, blessed, the word, the Hebrew barak means, it's amazing. The word literally means to regard God as the source, the root cause of productivity, fertility, and blessing. So the man has nothing, but he says, barak, everything is stripped away from him. But he's saying, I still regard you as the source of all these things. And because of his disposition, the Lord gave him back more than what he had than at first. Amen. So, uh, you know, these things are elementary. Eh? But it's amazingly, particularly apostolic people need to be very, very cautious about pride. Right? You think you've got it to the disdain of everybody else. Beware lest you fall. Right? Beware lest we we fall. We must, be, we must be amongst the most humblest of people in the earth. Then another one is arrogance. Everyone say arrogance. arrogance. Arrogance and self-esteem. Right? Arrogance and and self-esteem. Now, Daniel, I may I may want to campion, I will do time, but just go to Daniel chapter four. Daniel chapter four. And I mean, the, pr- the topic of pride is so vast that parts of me just wants to list all the indicators, l- let you do a check box whether you have it or not, and repent quickly. Yeah. And other parts of me want to deal more thoroughly with one or two. Right? Um, this particular one is quite interesting because it deals with the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the Persian king. And um, let me just read this account Daniel chapter 4, okay? Let me just read this quickly. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men from every language that live in the earth, may your peace abound. It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has, has done for me. How great is his science and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. It seems as though he's got this awareness that God has helping him, that God has credited him for attainment of all that he has up to this point. Then continue. I Nebuchadnezzar was at ease in but things, let me just inform you, from this point onwards, things suddenly start to change. It's very similar in respect to King Uzziah. Remember the Bible says of Uzziah, in his early days he sought the Lord. And so long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. But when he became strong, his heart was lifted up in pride. And he he thought that his strength was attributed to his own self. Okay, And he did not give glory to God. And that led to his downfall. Pastor Thoma often says the point of breakthrough, the moment you hit it, can become the start of a process of breakdown if at the point of breakthrough you don't maintain the attitude of humility and constant deferment of glory, thanks, and praise to God. Amen. I gate crash two house church lead two house church meetings this week. Okay. Gate. We are gate ministry, so we like to gate crash things. Okay. Uh, I was at Bluff and at where else? Durban North. Okay. At Bluff at Durban North. And uh, I suggested to both groups, when I made the suggestion to us all, have one day in your family life. Mm-hmm. Have a Thanksgiving. The uh, American nation has a Thanksgiving day where the whole nation gives thanks. I think it's a wonderful idea. Yeah. Right? And uh, we just felt prompted of the Lord in both meetings. I want to suggest this to you. Have a calendar day where you give thanks to the Lord personally as a family. Uh, have a meal together. Have a lavish meal. Now you're not sparing anything. You're celebrating the provision of the Lord. Have the best meal your kids have ever had in their lives. You're not doing it to be ostentatiously uh, as a show off of things. eh? It's not ostentatious display of pride. It's a celebration of the bounty and the goodness of the Lord. Are you doing it with that attitude. Have a day in your care. You can decide when you want. It's up to you. It's, and it's not with friends and cousins and, and all. It's just you and your immediate family. You're saying, us as a core group, us as a family, we're going to say thank you to the Lord. We're going to have this meal. We're each going to utter, lift up our hands, and we're going to acknowledge Him as the reason, as the source for all of our blessing. You know what? We're instilling in our kids the, 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 the imperative, of always looking to God and giving Him glory. Lest we, we, we go on and on and Thanksgiving becomes such a, uh, an age-old pastime that we forget it. Yeah. Do you know if you read, I'll, I'll talk more about this. Romans chapter 1 speaks about the degradation of mankind. You know, there it speaks about all kinds of perversion. It's found in Romans chapter 1. What the Bible says, because when they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. But became vain in their imaginations. It says, and their foolish heart was darkened. Therefore God gave them up to to fulfill the intentions of their heart. Men committing with men that which seems unseemly. Then it says, women also gave up the natural affection for the man and committed with each other acts which are not uh, pleasing to God. For when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and the Bible says, and neither became thankful. Neither became thankful. You know? Thanks, ingratitude is linked with a whole host of, of, carnal, of carnal issues. Ingratitude is like a door that opens up to a whole lot of things. The moment you you don't say, Lord, thank you, you know what thank you does? Thank you takes the focus of you. And thanks you puts a spotlight on God. And you say, God, it's because of you. If you were not in this, we are kaputs. As a a family, we're going nowhere very, very fast. right? So have an annual Thanksgiving Day. Just you and your family. Make it a serious occasion. And you say, Lord, this is our family expression of how much we thank you. Have an Ebenezer moment. Remember in your notes, the scripture from Ebenezer. What did Ebenezer say in Samuel? Hitherto has the Lord helped us. We did not come here by our own strength. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Amen? Marvelous in our eyes. This guy seems to have done this, but then things start to change. You see, ease, to become ease, he, he started to get, he became at ease in his mind. It speaks of a complacency and a lack of vigilance, a lack of deferment of glory to the Lord. Okay? So, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my household. And flourishing in my palace. How's that? At ease in my household and flourishing in my palace. Do you know it is easy to be humble when you've got nothing? The real test of humility is only when you have everything. Anybody can fast and pray when you've got nothing. Anybody can seek God when there's something to seek Him for. <laughs> Especially the material stuff. But when God blesses you and you're coasting, that is where humility needs to be solidly entrenched within your life. When you are sailing on the success of successive waves, that that point you need to ensure you need humility more than ever. So this guy at ease in his palace, right, flourishing in my palace. I saw in a dream. I'm going I'm to read quickly through this because of time. I saw in a dream. It made me fearful. These fantasies I lay upon my bed, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. Like it's troubling dreams, right? So I gave orders to bring t- into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. It's a troubling dream. All the magicians and the conjurers and the chargers, the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar. That's the name the Babylonians gave Daniel. Be careful when Babylon renames you. There's another lesson altogether. According to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, I related the dream to him. Right? Saying, O Belteshazzar, the chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking to him. Daniel had a reputation that the Holy, that the holy Spirit resided in him. So they called upon him. Right, In you, and no mystery be, uh, baffles you. Tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay upon my bed. Now, what what vision or dream was um, making Nebuchadnezzar have sleepless nights? So this this is what he saw. This is what he dreamed. I was looking, behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew large, became strong. Its height reached the sky. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. Imagine this massive tree, center of the earth. Anybody anywhere in the earth could see it. Right? If you were in the South Pole, you could see the tree in the North Pole. It was so big. <laughs> right? Uh, just to, to uh, uh, explain. The beasts of the. F- uh, sorry. Um, its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. All the living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking into the visions in my mind as I lay upon my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. Right? He shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip it of its foliage, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from, un- from its branches. Yet leave the stump, so cut the tree down, but leave the stump, leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the grass in the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods, the, the Hebrew word periods is here, seven years of periods. Let seven periods or years of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. The, the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living might know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. The intention of this whole dream, God says, I want to make a point. I am ruler of everybody no, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you're ruling. But God wants to make a point and establish his reputation as sovereign. I am the ultimate, God is saying. I'm going to do all of this to demonstrate to all men I rule. Tell you neighbor God rules. You know, you must come to terms with the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is our new spatial sphere of existence. Come on, say God is sovereign. I want to tell you no matter what, who does what to you negatively motivated. It will never succeed if you are a son of God and you're living a life in obedience to Him. You are not a victim at the womb of people. You're not a weak, a, you're not a pawn in a game. I serve a sovereign God. And God is a vindicator of men. Uh, w- we've received such terrible attack this week. Uh, some of you may have seen it. I uh, can't go into details, but it was a Facebook attempt to discredit it. And in my prayer concerning these things this week, God said to me, don't worry, haven't you taught Haman, Esther? Right? The gallows that Haman prepared, right? The same gallows will hang Haman. The the gallows prepared for Mordecai. right? What, what What the enemy plans for your demise will work against the enemy. But you are protected. Amen? Tell someone God is sovereign. Nebuchadnezzar Um, is now this pride starting to enter his heart. And so Daniel's starting to give interpretation. He'll give in a moment. And bestows on it whom he wishes and sets over the lowliest of of men. Mm -hmm. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Balthasar, you, Daniel tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation but you are able for a spirit of the holy gods is in you so Daniel starts then Daniel whose name is Balteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him so Daniel is alarmed because he knows what the dream means so but he has to communicate this to the king right the king responded and said Belteshazzar to not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar. Daniel replied, My Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. How could you start an interpretation like this? Oh, my Lord. I wish this interpretation was for your enemies, but it's for you. <laughs> Already the king is, is thinking now. Right? Then, the tree you saw, which became large and grew strong, Whose height reached the sky was visible to all the earth, right? And whose foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which all the beasts of the field dwelt, and though in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king. That tree is you, Daniel is telling him, right? For you have become great, and you have grown strong, and your majesty has become great and has reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth you would know at that stage in history the persian empire were the conquerors of the whole earth right in that the king saw an angelic watcher holy one descending from heaven saying chop down the tree and destroy it and leave its stump with its roots in the ground but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts in th- of the field until seven periods or seven years of time have passed over him. This is the interpretation, of King. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the King. That you have, That you be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven years or seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize the Most High is the ruler of the realm of humankind or mankind and bestows on whomever he wishes. Listen carefully. Daniel is saying, remember God said in the dream that the mind of a man will be taken away from him and the mind of a beast, an animal, will be given to him. And his dwelling will be with the peace of the field. Eat grass for the rest of his days and be drenched with the dew of, of heaven. So Daniel's saying, That stump is you. God's going to stump you. Right? From a majestic tree to a stump. Right? Then, and in that it was, it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots in the tree, Daniel says, Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that heaven rules. I like this statement. God is, sa- God is saying, Daniel is saying, God is still merciful to you. He doesn't take the roots out with the stump. He's cutting the tree down. He's leaving the stump because there's something in God that knows one day you're going to acknowledge Him as the ruler of all mankind. All right? And then the text says, quickly, Therefore, O king, my advice... Daniel doesn't just interpret the dream. He gives some prophetic counsel. He says, what do I advise you to do, king? My advice be pleasing to you. Break now away from your sins. Everyone say now. now. Do it now, king. Break now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. You know what what God is saying to to Daniel? God is saying to the king through Daniel, I advise you, although this is a sure dream to you, everything can change right now. You can avert all of this by your responses of distancing yourself from your sinful lifestyle, cutting away from your iniquity, and rather showing good deeds to the poor. Perhaps God's going to give you a prolonged prosperity. Do you remember when the priest approached Uzziah Mm. in the temple? Mm. Did leprosy come on his forehead immediately? Right? What did the the priest say? They said, Uzziah it's, I like the King James. You know, I learned that whole text in King James many years ago. It appertaineth not unto thee, O King Uzziah, to burn incense at the altar of incense. In other words, not your business burning incense here. You're the king. You're involved in politics, we the priests, with the spiritual life of, 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 of and, and, and functionality in the temple. So they say to him, You burning incense, not your job, you've crossed the boundary. And the Bible says the censor was still in Uzziah's hand to burn incense. At that point, if he said, I am sorry, I repent, God would have forgiven him. But the Bible says when they advised him, he became enraged. And while angry, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And he hastened to go out of the, of, the, of, of the temple. He ran out. Similarly here, Daniel is saying, I advise you, leave your sins now. Now, this is a very prophetic meeting today. I advise you today, leave the thing you know you should not be dabbling in. Leave it now. Leave it today so that your prosperity might be prolonged. Distance yourself from that which is intolerable before the view of God. I said this to someone who was talking about pornography. Does God abhor pornography, yes or no? Yes. What's the answer? Yes. Does, is, is it detestable before God, yes or no? Yes. yes. So the, the, the conversation But some people derive entertainment value from it. So the response was, how can you derive entertainment value from that which is abhorrent to God? How can you be entertained from that which is detestable in the eyes of God? You can't justify or rationalize sinful behavior because it gives you entertainment value. Even though you're not going to participate in the lawless deeds. You cannot derive, I'm going to say it again. You cannot derive entertainment from any realm that God detests. You have to draw the line. So I'm speaking prophetically to the house. I'm saying distance yourself from any appearance of evil. What does the scripture say? It says flee the appearance of evil. For me, I don't even know that it is evil. If it looks evil, I'm gone. Huh? The appearance of evil. If it smells, if there's a hint of this being alien to the nature of God, I distance myself from it. Amen? So, I, lo- I love this statement. Break away now from your sins. Come on, say it with me. Break away now from your sins. That's the counsel that Daniel gives to, <coughs> to Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying, you can avert Because you know the story, he doesn't listen. We'll read it now. And he goes into this life of a beast like an animal crawls on all fours. Hair grows like feathers on his body. And he has the mind of an animal, feeds of grass, covered by the dew of heaven. The dream comes true because he refused to break away now. Say it with me again, break away now. You know, God is very serious in this moment. He wants to do so great things in the future, He does not want us to take even the most slightest inclination to things of the flesh into the magnitude of what He wants to do in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, why was Ananias and Sapphira killed? Because they misrepresented the offering. Not so? You know, today we, we struggle to get people to give. They give, and they killed. <laughs> you know, it's not just about giving. It's about giving accurately. Barnabas gave. He sold the whole property, remember? Just before them, Acts 4. They were killed in Acts 5, by the way. Not Acts 15, Acts 5. Yeah. What am I getting at? When Barnabas sold his property in Acts 4, they brought the entire proceeds of the sale, and he laid it at the apostles' field. They looked at this and tried to mimic a copy his expression of giving. They sold their property, but they kept back half of the proceeds of the sale. But the other half given, they, they made it to look like it's the total proceeds. So it's an offering misrepresentatively given of the motive of the heart that God frowns upon. right? Why does God kill them? He kills them very early in church history. The church was just born in Acts 2. This is Acts 5 and people are dying. <laughs> because God wants to kill a thing in infancy because he needs to grow the thing. Acts 6, Acts 7, Acts 8, Acts 9, major things are happening. And God was intent that that sin will not come into the growth that I want to do. I want to manifest. God spoke to me very clearly. God said to me, I want to grow you. I want to even grow the church. But there are some things that will be incompatible with the growth. I need to kill those things now while you are small. So you don't take that into when you are established and big and have a name, etc. Yeah, we don't seek those things. Those will happen because of prophecies. Yeah? Remember, we just believe God in terms of what He has said. So tell you never kill your sin while it's still small. Yeah? Sin left undoubted becomes a stronghold and becomes very difficult to deal with left unattended. While it was still in infancy. So I want to encourage you. I want to say it again. Come on, repeat after me. Break away now from your sins. (laughs) Next verse, quickly. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. This, what are we about to read, all this happened. After Daniel says that to him, Daniel's last statement, and this is the result. Twelve months later. Everyone say, twelve months later. Twelve months later. later, Let me just say this. He does nothing to change. A year passes. Don't think that God's judgments are suspended simply because nothing is happening to you. Mm -hmm. And you think because God, no, no, nothing negative ordinarily is, is, out of the ordinary is happening to me. God must be happy with me so i will i will continue the status quo things continue as per norm right see god is very gracious gave this man 12 months to get his life in order but you know what the the pride in him became a stronghold to such a degree watch 12 months later he was walking on the roof by the royal palace of babylon The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great? Notice the pride. He is walking on his roof and beholding his kingdom. And pride. Is this not Babylon the great that I myself have built as a royal residency by the might and the power, by my power for the glory of my majesty. Pride right there. While the word was in the king's mouth. A voice from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. The right to be a king, a sovereign, has been removed from you. You will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. Seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler. Over the realm of mankind, and bestows it upon whomever he he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, he was driven away from mankind, and began eating grass like cattle. Sad eh. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. At the end of that period I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes, watch, he repents. End of that seven-year period. It took me a long time even to come to the realization. He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes toward heaven. And my reason returned to me. Who does this remind you of? Prodigal son. Pigsty yes. says he came to him. saw I'm a fool. What am I doing here? Right? His reason returned to him. <coughs> and... And I said, blessed be the Most High, in his animal-like state. <laughs> he said, blessed be the Most High, and praise and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from one generation to the next. Okay, From generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand. Or say to him. What have you done? No one can challenge the most high God. At that time my reason returned to me. And my majesty and splendor were restored to me. For the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors. And my nobles began seeking me out. And I was re-established in my sovereignty. And the surpassing greatness was added to me. Eventually repents, as you can see. And God restores what was lost. Now, I pray, brethren, don't rationalize and excuse disobedience. Don't excuse disobedience. To entrench and maintain your inaccuracy. You know God's view on the matter, but you want to maintain your disobedience. So you rationalize your disobedience to make it acceptable to you using whatever argument you are using. God has been warning us about that recently. For some of us, your reason has left you. For some of you, your reasoning, spiritual reasoning has departed. And I pray your reasoning returns to you. And you come to yourself again. And you say, I need to return to that place from which I have, I have left. You see, pride is very, very, very deceptive. It rationalizes a behavior, a mindset, a word or deed you know is detestable or unpleasing to God. And you make it acceptable. God in His mercy will send you warnings, I believe, as we all have been receiving them. He's gracious and whoever the Lord loves, He disciplines. So He sends warning after warning. After warning, do not um, entrench the stubbornness in the heart. Do not entrench stubbornness in the heart. I'll talk about stubbornness in a moment. Why waste? My my exhortation to you this morning, part of it is, why waste time through disobedience? When in your heart, you already know I have to come back to a place of obedience. You know you're going to have to come back sooner or later. I'm saying to you, like Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, today break away from that position. Right? Today, alter your mindset in reference to embarking upon a path you know will be displeasing to the Lord. The New Testament counterpart for King Nebuchadnezzar is King Herod. Remember? And in Acts 12, Acts 12, i should to read this carefully. Acts 12 verse 21, it says, On appointed day, Herod Having put his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum, and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, "The voice of a god and not a man." I mean, this man is speaking, and the people say, "Oh, this man is not a man. This is the voice of a, this is the voice of a god." And immediately, an angel struck him. Why? He did not give glory to God. When people say the voice of a man, not God, he said, "Yes, I'm a God," you know, and he refused to defer glory, refused to consistently let God be the focus and the object, and claim glory for all of his exploits. And he was eaten by worms, and he, he died. And the word of the Lord continued to grow, and to be, and to be multiplied. I want to encourage us: may every trait. Of this this hered disposition that refuses to honor God and to give God the glory. May that die. May your favorite phrase be, hitherto has the Lord helped me. May that be so ingrained in your mentality. May your friends be sick of you saying it. Every major thing, even the small thing that happens in your life, you're constantly giving God glory. Constantly turning, hitherto has the Lord helped me. It's not me, it's all the Lord. Not me. Even when they praise you for your godness, a voice of a God and not man. says, not me. I'm a man. You know what the Bible says to the early apostles? They actually said, these men are gods. And Peter had to step in and say, don't worship us. We are not gods. We are just mere men. Okay? So constant deferment of glory to the Lord is, vi- is vital. Amen? It's absolutely, it's absolutely vital. Some other manifestations of prayer, just quickly. Superiority complex and delusions of grandeur. Now, it's amazing how many people have delusions of grandeur. Um, A delusion of grandeur is a fixed false belief of extraordinary greatness. (laughs) It's a fixed false belief. It's not true, but you believe it to be true. It's so fixed. It's a fixed, false belief in you that you are extraordinarily great, mm-hmm. right? And you have delusions of of grandeur attendant with you. You think you are it yeah. when you're not it. You think you're God's gift, God's gift to mankind, right? Without you, nothing nothing will work. Okay. Uh, don't be proud-minded and attend to yourself a measure of importance. That really you don't have. Okay. God has his way of humbling us. Dr. Seggie said. In, in, on, in Port Shepson on, on Friday. He said. If you don't humble yourself. He spoke of humility for quite an, a while. He said if you don't humble yourself. God will humiliate you. It's either humility. Or humiliation. He who does not humble himself Will be the recipient of being humiliated by God, right? But it's God's it's God's order. Peter says, "Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time He will, He will, He will lift you up." There are Countless examples in the Bible of humiliation. So, do you think that you are it? I will tell you, neighbor, you're not it. Mm-hmm. Remember what we said in Romans twelve fifteen. It says, "Let each man esteem himself better than the other." Okay? So just remind the person next to you, you are more important than me. Okay. More important. Everyone is more important than, than I. We have a humble disposition. We have no delusions of grandeur and importance that we're walking around with a, a sense of exclusivity and superiority and self-importance that everybody else is beneath us. No, no, that's not in our mindset. We don't even focus on our dress code and we look at others that don't dress as us and say, wow, we're better than them. Or oh, see how they keep their hair? Look at our hair. Right? It's, 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 it's just nauseating. Yeah. Yeah. Nauseating for me when those kinds of comparisons are made in the house of God. It's a spirit of pride. It's a spirit of, of prejudice. One against the other. Yeah. right? So what if you went to a private school and I went to a public school? So what? <laughs> Doesn't make you more important than me. Amen. So what if you dress best, better, live in a better area, right? Don't have delusions of grandeur about your importance, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, Dr. Segi told us, I think, a powerful illustration. He said it was a psychiatric ward, everybody's mad, all the patients are mad, have mental issues. So the one patient assigned himself as a doctor. And in the evening, when all the doctors, he puts on the doctor's robe, he goes, he gets a stethoscope, and he gets uh, the card and everything. Very important. He comes around in the evening. Oh, well, let me see to you. And he does a thorough inspection, making notes, prescribing things and everything. Next one, right? Next one, next one. The stethoscope was on the head and not in the ears. He's busy, busy making notes. It's actually very important, you know? Very important. Illusion of grandeur. And so... The doctor happened to walk in at that time. He Say, hey, what are you doing? you got no permission to do that. You're not trained. Get back to your bed. So the patient said, no. It's the, the, the patient said, I am a doctor. You're a doctor. I'm a doctor. I'm just like you. I'm equal with you. <laughs> so the doctor said, but who told you you were a doctor? He said, no, God told me. <laughs> so the other patient next to him says, no, I didn't tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> Other person, he was God. <laughs> Everyone thinks they have the sense of importance, and they, you know, I want to encourage us all. Just remain low. <laughs> Don't have a, an inflated self-opinion about who you are and, and, and what you and what you represent. Also, another point is entitlement, feelings of entitlement, right? Don't have false expectations as to how people should treat you or, or behave toward you, yes. right? Don't have false expectations. If you have no expectations, you will not be disappointed. Hmm? Simple. <laughs> <laughs> Remember Naaman in the Bible? Yeah. Leprosy. He went to Elisha. And who did Elisha send out? That little girl to give him the message, go dip in the river Jordan. Mm. He was so angry because Naaman's pride stood up in his heart, right? How dare that man of God send a little girl to communicate with me? Does he know who I am? Right? I'm the ruler of the, of the king's armies in, in, in Assyria or Persia. Right? So don't have feelings of entitlement or, or, or expectation. One thing, I just want to mention this and just start to wrap up. If you are hurt by being rejected, by humans, and if in the same context, your representation of God, either in mentality, in word, or in deed, is accurate, and men reject you. If you get offended and hurt by that, it proves you are still alive, and you need to die in that, you need to die in that area, just trying to find my notes. I got this somewhere in the note here. Yeah, listen carefully. 1 Samuel 8, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king. Okay? They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king. He was the last judge in Israel, Samuel. The people wanted a king like other nations to rule over them the bible says and samuel became distressed at that suggestion of the people he comes before god praying god says Bru, it's not about you it's about me you are my representation my face to the people don't feel the rejection because they are really rejecting me listen to the principle if in a specific context your representation of God is accurate, and men reject you. Do not become offended or take it personally, because they are really rejecting the one you represent. They're not rejecting you. God had to speak to Samuel, my brew. Wake up now, please. Not about you. They're actually rejecting me. Now it's hard because the one sent, the, rep- the one who represents God, and God become one. And sometimes you feel as though God is feeling. But we must learn to take ourselves out of the equation. You know why? People will always disappoint. But if you of the view that even this recent uh, attack we've experienced, um, we concluded this is an attack not at us personally, yes. at what and who we represent. Right? So you get disappointed initially, and you quickly over it. You say, "No, this is not then." Now watch. If you want to fight the battle which you we were tempted to do, you know, if your flesh wants to rise up, you know, humble, then you must fight it as the representation of God. But if at the res- at the, as the representation of God, you say, no, I will humble myself. I won't even retaliate. I will allow the one who sent me to represent him to fight this battle on my behalf. Hmm? You either fight the battle alone or you allow the God who sent you as his representation to fight your battle for you when your representation of him becomes questioned. Right? So this is God's fight, it's not, it's not it's not our fight. I would encourage us all to be to be serious about entrenching humility and dealing with pride at every single level. If you still get prone to hurt and easily offended, it's simply God's way of showing you. In that area, you are not dead yet. You are still very, very much alive. And you need to die in that area. Yeah? I'm waiting for the day when you are hurt. and Someone does something nasty to you. And you're over it in five seconds. Not five days. You only have five days to waste. You must say, no, 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 no. I've, I'm so dead. I'm dead. Dead as dead can be. I'm dead, dead, dead. Can you if you insult a dead man, will you get a reaction? Someone corpse, yeah. You can you can swear the man, you can drag his name in the mud, you're gonna get no response from a dead person. Right? So, one of the tactics for dealing with attacks from the enemy is simply no response. Don't empower the enemy by responding to him. There are times when you will resist the devil and he will flee. But Jesus was falsely accused and the Bible says he opened not his mouth as a sheep before it is dumb. He went to the the slaughter. Jeremiah uh, 7, I want to close with this. Last verse. Jeremiah 7 from verse 23 to 24. We had this verse in our fasting series. A lovely portion of scripture. It says, uh, I want to speak about quickly stubbornness. Everyone say stubbornness. Nebuchadnezzar was stubborn, right? why waste seven years hanging around with cattle? You were king, and now you're hanging around with cattle. You, you are so high, God demoted you. And you're groveling, eating grass, right? You eat, used to eat caviar, now you're eating grass, right? God, God strips you of every privilege, and uh, you could have saved seven years. Now I'm being prophetic. Tell you never save seven years. Save seven years. Save, I'm I'm telling, I'm asking the congregation, save lost time. Yeah. I'm almost 50 just now. I got no time to waste time. I can't even waste six months through an inaccurate decision or, or being prone to the flesh and then have to deal with the consequences of an action. I got no time. God lives in eternity, not me yet. Yes. He got plenty of time on his hand. Mm-hmm. We're still bound by earth, time, space, reality. Now listen carefully. But this is what I command, commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, I will be my, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I command you, that it might be well with you. Verse 24. Yet they did not obey, nor inclined their ear, but walked in their own counsels, and in the stubbornness of their evil heart, they went where? They went backward. And not not forward, stubborn walking in the counsel of your own heart will lead to regression, retreat, moving backward. But immediate obedience to all of God's word acts as a propulsion forward, pushes you, pushes you forward. Okay? So deal with stubbornness. Uh, Oprah, remember Oprah is the epitome of stubbornness in the Bible. Ruth followed Naomi back to... Bethlehem, Judah. But the other daughter-in-law, Orpah, the Bible says, she went back to where? To a people Moab and its gods. Yes. Right? Moab and its gods. Everyone say, and its gods. That means it's not just, it's a spiritual decision. You go back to Chemosh. Chemosh was the idol deity that the Moabites worshipped. His name means swift destroyer. Who would like to worship a god means whose name means swift destroyer? <laughs> okay. Opa made that decision. Orpah means what? Stiff-necked. What is stiff-neckedness? A symbol of stubbornness. Some people are so stiff-necked on an issue that even if 81 priests warn you, you're still gonna go through with the action. You will suffer the consequences deep in your heart. You know, like Nebuchadnezzar, like the prodigal, I'm gonna have to make my way some back sometime or the or the other. But you're going to have to do it dealing with with the consequences. I feel the mercy of God upon us this morning. This word's a very serious warning word. It's different to how we normally. You know what? There's great destiny in store for all of us. And God is saying, my son, my daughter, I'm intervening now. I'm coming now. Because while you are still in the infancy of your migration, be careful about being stubborn in your own heart. Because stubbornness is going to push you backwards. But obedience will take you. Obedience will take you. Obedience will take you forward. Okay? Psalm 81, quickly. And then verse 10. Psalm 81, verse 10. Okay, and we'll close with this. Psalm 81, verse 10. I the Lord am the am the God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I will, I will fill it. But my people did not listen. God saying, I want to fill you, but Stubbornness there. I want to do something for you. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over what to what? To the stubbornness of their hearts to walk in their own devices. Remember two weeks ago I said, God will warn you, warn you, warn you. If you don't listen, he simply retreats and he says, No problem, I give you up. You know when God gives you up, it means I take the restraint and the conviction of my Holy Spirit away from you. You will do the wrong thing, not even feeling bad by doing it. Before you would do it, you would feel highly uncomfortable doing it. Now you do it as a matter of course, without a thought. So what was abhorrent becomes normal. God says, no problem, I give you up to your own devices what was the intent of God I wanted to open your mouth and fill it but you did not listen so I give you up to the stubbornness of your own heart to walk in your own devices and then verse 13 is a lament oh you know when God says oh (laughs) it's like he says oh he says oh that my people would listen to me that Israel would walk in my ways I beg you church this morning oh if you only know the power of a decision to obey God despite the lure and the pull of your flesh, right? Walk in biblical principle, don't walk in personal preference. If personal preference is opposed to biblical principle, take personal preference, set it aside and say, my flesh personal preference is luring me this way, but the principle in the Bible says, obey this. I obey principle, not being led by sentiment or preference. Then God says, oh, that my people would listen to me. Can you hear the lament of God here? He's saying, oh, can I use your more?" Okay, there's no prophecy. just using your name. Oh, that Moira would listen to me. Now, you know the person's name next to you? Just tell him but using the name. Oh, that Ma would listen to me. (laughs) Oh, that Newman would listen to me. Oh, that Bruce would listen to me. (laughs) Oh, that Andy would listen. Oh, that, that, that Claire would listen. Oh, that Rita would listen to me. Oh, that Renee, oh, that Luke would listen. That God is saying to you, Oh, Daryl, oh, that you would just listen to me. Hey? Can you hear the Lord? Yeah. Hey? hey? Dennis, oh, that you would just listen to me. <laughs> you can go through every, every name here, right? Ian, oh, that you would just listen. Hey? the oh, that you would just listen. Hmm? You call all your names. Hey, me, I'm first in line. God is saying to me, Randolph, oh, that you would listen. If you just, watch, align your life, just decide, make a decision, come hell or high water, I'm not going to be led by personal preference, I'm going to be led by biblical principle. If God doesn't like it, I don't like it. If God doesn't like it, my friends like it, I still don't like it. Because my friends say, yes, but God says, no, I choose God's way. I'm not going to be led and deal with this, no stubborn means. Stiff neck, and the Bible says, "He who often being reproved, and does not listen, shall be cut off, and that without remedy." Right? That without remedy. You know, I've taken I, I, I've taken a bold stance for my life. I'm saying now more than ever before, your obedience must be so thorough and so complete. So God says, "Oh, that my people Israel." Would walk in my ways. You know what the next verse is? How God would have responded to Israel if they just listened? Verse 14. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. God is saying, Oh, Randolph, oh, that you would just listen to me. You have no idea of the speed that I will adopt in dealing with every one of the enemies that oppose my work in you. God is saying to Israel, Israel, you have no idea. Everyone say quick. Says, I would quickly start to deal with every impediment in your life if you simply say to your life, life align, life obey. Come right, be humble. The pride position always disobeys God. The humble position obeys God. We taught you this. Okay, so we need to perfect our obedience in the name of the Lord. I want you to I- encourage you, take this word very seriously. I hear the warning of the Lord to us saying, don't be stubborn about rationalizing an act of disobedience when I frown upon it, right? I warn you now, break away now, Nebuchadnezzar, today, from this, break away from that mindset now. Don't even have time to discuss this or corroborate with anybody. You make the decision, now break away from that mindset, right? Or else you're going to waste seven years of your life. This is a warning. I'm, taking, I'm talking literally now. Some of us are going to waste seven years of our lives before we come to this. Right? And the mercy and the grace of the Lord says to you, but my mercy is with you today. Obey me all you can with all your might. See how quickly I will subdue your enemies under you. Right? And your prosperity will be prolonged in the earth. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Help us not to lose glory like Nebuchadnezzar. He lost the glory of being a man and attained a sub-glory of being an animal. Help us never to devolve down to an expression of life beneath that which you have always planned for us. We refuse to live life at a lower plane, yeah. that of animals eating grass. Mm-hmm. It's not your will for us. So, Father, we, we want to maintain our sonship in you, yes. defined by obedience to every one of your laws, every one of your dictates. Everyone, lift your hands up to the Lord. I pray grace, great grace to our soul mm-hmm. to have the courage to obey you when the chips are down. I pray great grace in times of temptation when the flesh speaks so loud and there's this unsettling feeling within us and almost fear that we will resign ourselves to that fleshly indulgence, reap consequences, knowing still we love you and will have to come back to you. Father, today I pray courage and grace to obey be imparted to every single one of us. Our, our greatest desire is to please You. Nothing else but Your will being done in our lives. So I ask strength, courage, grace, fortitude to live a singular life totally dedicated to You in all respects. And now I prophesy, Father, on Your behalf over Your people, that see how quickly You're going to subdue enemies. See how quickly You will, have, you will remove obstacles, impediments, I I speak a quickness of your work, your doing of the will of the Lord in and through our lives in the name of Jesus. I prophesy and, and we want to lift up our hands, something Nebuchadnezzar should have done initially, Father. Although we did it later, but Father, today we lift up our hands and we say, You are the sovereign over all mankind, entirety of the earth. You are the sovereign over our lives. Even now, God, we subject our lives to You. The king of all the earth. King of all the earth. No weapon that is formed against us will ever prosper. Oh God, you will take care of your sons. You will take care. I prophesy, Father, you will take care of every family. You prophesy, I prophesy you'll take care of every detail of the assignments of our lives. Nothing will be lost. Nothing will be compromised. Nothing will be aborted. You are the sovereign. You are the Lord. To you we give honor today acknowledgement we say hitherto after all we've attained the lord has helped us where would we be without you father we say like jesus said without you we can do nothing but with you all things are possible to him that believes to him that believes we thank you we honor you in jesus name we love you father our greatest desire is to please you you know that you know that That's something within our hearts to be always pleasing you, to do the right thing before you and not before men. Right now I break the pressure of conformity in the name of the Lord. The peer pressure some of us are are, are, are experiencing, the pressure of the age. We will not be like Demas, forsake the apostolic fathering principle in Paul and love this present world. We will not love this age. We will not love its systems and be drawn into its its, its mold. But we will be different. Sons of God in a crooked and perverse generation. Stand like Noah in, in his time, in our time. And we declare our God reigns in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen and amen.